There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. What makes a man tick and what makes that ticking finally turn into an explosion? On April 19th, 2020, a man was finally brought down after about 15 hours of cold-blooded rampage that, to this day, no one knows the true motive of. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On April 18th, 2002, a man named Gabriel Wartman and his common-law wife came back to their home in Portapique, Nova Scotia, after a night of celebrating their anniversary. Things had not gone well that evening, and the couple ended up arguing during a party that, at its conclusion, saw an angry Gabriel grabbing his spouse, handcuffing her, firing shots in her direction, and forcing her into an unregistered replica police car that he owned. While she sat locked inside the vehicle, he went back over to his house and set it ablaze right in front of her. She watched her husband load up his weapons and head back to the party where he opened fire and, without an ounce of remorse, killed seven people inside. Seizing an opportunity, Gabriel's spouse was able to escape her bonds and flee into the nearby woods to hide. It was around this time, about 10 at night, that a number of calls came in to 911 reporting the sounds of gunfire and several fires. The first of which came from the wife of one of Gabriel's victims, who was then shot and killed while barricading herself and her two sons inside of a bedroom. He then attempted to set the home ablaze, but the boys managed to escape before being trapped inside. About five minutes after the calls started flooding into dispatch, Gabriel returned to his burning house and calmly walked across the street to where he killed his female neighbor, who mistook him for an RCMP officer responding to the fire. Her children then took in the two sons of the first victims, and together, they all hid from the neighbor-turned-ruthless killer. As the neighborhood descended into chaos— Two of Gabriel's neighbors drove over to his house to investigate the fire while calling 911. As they drove down the road, they noticed that there was a police car parked out in front of some of the houses with its roof lights on. One that, upon returning from the fire, seemed to be fleeing from the scene rather than staying to help any of the victims. They had no clue that the car was being driven not by an officer, but by a heavily armed Gabriel Wartman who pulled out a gun and shot at them as they pulled up alongside him. The driver was injured, but both managed to flee with their lives. About 26 minutes after the first 911 call came in, three RCMP officers arrived at the scene and discovered a total of 13 victims, some of whom had been shot and killed inside of eight different homes on Orchard Beach Drive and Portapique Beach Road and that three of those houses were now up in flames. From what they could surmise, many of the victims died while either trying to escape the flames that engulfed their homes or while trying to help the other victims. As the officers reported the massacre to their station, overwhelmed by the carnage Gabriel had left behind, those who managed to survive his rampage told officers that they saw the shooter head towards the beach and right into a dead end. They also warned them that he was impersonating a police officer and was driving an exact replica of their vehicle. Gabriel Wartman was officially identified as the suspect, but with his home now smoldering and only one exit from the community, they worried that he either fled on foot 
or had already ended his life. Unfortunately for his victims, Gabriel was still alive, well, and furious. After sending out a tweet urging all residents of Porter Peak to stay inside, the RCMP realized that Gabriel had fled the community a mere 19 minutes after the first officers responded to the scene, driving through a dirt road and along a blueberry field before they were able to set up their roadblocks. After escaping, Gabriel spent the rest of the night parked behind a welding shop 16 miles away and disposed of some of his police equipment and gun-related items in a ditch on the property of an acquaintance. While police circulated bulletins to other agencies the next day, Gabriel left his hiding space and drove north along Highway 4 to the homes of some friends in Wentworth. He arrived at about 6.30 a.m. and, shortly thereafter, killed the two occupants and their dogs. He hid out in their home for about three hours and, at about the same time, the RCMP located his spouse who confirmed that he was impersonating a police officer while committing his rampage. A bolo was issued and police publicly announced that they were dealing with an active shooter in the Porta Peak area. Gabriel, after setting the house on fire, finally got back on the road and, as he left, killed a neighbor who had come out to try and help with the growing flames. He then headed back south along that same highway, headed back towards Porta Peak, and at about 9.35 a.m., shot and killed another victim whom he saw walking on the side of the road. He then went to a home in Glenholm, another resident that he was acquainted with, and, dressed in a police uniform, knocked on the door and was refused entrance. Gabriel then tried to trick the resident into thinking he was an officer aiding with the manhunt by calling out his own name and shouting, come out with your hands up. But the occupant inside recognized Gabriel and, not falling for his ruse, called the police and he fled yet again. Just before 10 a.m., Gabriel, still presenting himself as a police officer, performed two traffic stops in Debert and killed the random drivers who stopped at his command. He was then seen traveling through Debert and Onslow right around the same time that the RCMP tweeted about his deadly impersonations. About 40 minutes later, Gabriel pulled alongside an RCMP cruiser in Shubenacadie and shot Constable Chad Morrison, who had been parked and waiting for a fellow officer. The constable managed to survive his attack, but Gabriel fled yet again. Shortly after, Gabriel flew head-on into a car being driven by Officer Heidi Stevenson, the woman who Constable Morrison was waiting on, and the pair engaged in a brief shootout, one that ended with Heidi's life. Gabriel then stole her sidearm and remaining ammunition and set both his and her cruiser on fire. Gabriel then shot and killed a passing motorist who tried to come to Heidi's aid and then stole the driver's SUV. After the police announced the vehicle change, Gabriel shot and killed a woman he knew in her Shubadakadi home, changed his clothing, and took her Mazda. Finally, after 13 hours of sheer carnage and panic, at 11.26 a.m. on April 13th, Gabriel Wartman stopped at a gas station in Enfield, unaware that two RCMP officers were already there refueling their cruiser. Parked right next to each other, the officer did not know about the latest vehicle switch, but once one got a good look at the driver standing beside him, knew it was the killer that they had been searching for. Gabriel, noticing their stares, lifted up Officer Stevenson's sidearm just as the other officers grabbed their weapons and took a deadly shot. 
He was confirmed dead at 11.40 a.m., and the rampage was officially over. In total, Gabriel Wartman killed 22 people, set fires to 16 locations, and injured three more. With the dust settled and as everyone breathed a sigh of relief, police started looking into Gabriel's life to see if they could find a reason for his deadly actions. Gabriel Wartman, a 51-year-old denturist who operated two clinics in Halifax and Dartmouth, had an estate that included six properties, three corporations, and was worth a total of $2.1 million. He had a number of close friendships and business associations, one of whom was a Fredericton lawyer who, in 2009, died and left Gabriel all of his possessions, including one of the rifles used during the attacks and a common-law marriage that, on the surface, seemed like a solid relationship. However, in 2002, Gabriel pleaded guilty to assault and was sentenced to nine years probation, an action that would have prohibited him from owning a firearm. He was also involved in two civil lawsuits regarding property disputes and, in 2004, offered to help a friend with financial difficulties and, discreetly, took ownership of his home, evicted him, and sold the property from underneath him. In 2015, Gabriel's uncle lent him a home that he purchased in Porta Peak while he was selling his Edmonton condominium and, when the time came, Gabriel refused to give it back to him and claimed ownership. His uncle eventually sold it and one of the buyers later became a victim of the 2020 Nova Scotia attacks. Another one of the victims had been a hunting buddy of Gabriel's. He was described as paranoid, manipulative, and controlling, had grown up with abusive parents, and learned how to manipulate the system to avoid paying money by his petty thief of a father. He was obsessed with his wife, and not in a good way, and was extremely possessive over her. He was also a man who struggled with alcoholism, and after his business was negatively affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, the abuse only got worse. In fact, according to his wife, Gabriel took her across Nova Scotia just hours before the attacks and ranted about the pandemic, believing he was going to die and worried that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would begin controlling all of the money, so he started taking out hefty bank withdrawals in preparation. According to his yearbook, he had dreams of becoming a police officer. But according to his spouse, he thought he was better than law enforcement and hated them. However, according to some sources, Gabriel's home was a, quote, shrine to the RCMP. In May of 2011, the Truro police received an anonymous tip via email claiming that Gabriel Wortman had a stash of guns and a desire to, quote, kill a cop. While all of this seems like contributing factors to the attack, his true motives remain a mystery. According to the RCMP's Behavioral Analysis Unit, who launched a psychological autopsy on Gabriel Wortman, he was an injustice collector who kept track of all of his perceived slights and grievances, let them add up, and finally exploded into a rage. On December 4th, 2020, Gabriel's spouse, her older brother, and brother-in-law were all charged with providing Gabriel with weapons and ammunition he used during the attack, all in his possession illegally. Following the attacks, many questioned the RCMP's tactics used to raise alarm to those living in the areas surrounding the attacks, opting to use social media instead of the alert-ready warning system. The RCMP said that using social media, like Twitter and Facebook, made providing constant updates easier, 
But according to those against their decision, the area in which the situation was unfolding had poor cellular service and was mostly populated by seniors who, more than likely, did not use social media. Stating that had they used the Alert Ready system and been more transparent about their investigation, calls could have been made and lives could have been saved. A public inquiry into their decision took place, but the results have yet to be released. Shortly after the attack, Justin Trudeau announced that the sale, transportation, and use of assault-style firearms in Canada was now banned, and via order in council, the government reclassified them as prohibited under the Firearms Act and gave owners a two-year grace period to dispose, export, register, or sell their weapons. However, had the ban been in place before the Nova Scotia attacks, it would have done little to change the outcome as Gabriel had purchased all of his weapons and ammunition illegally. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. And thank you, Joanna Fitness on Instagram for suggesting the topic for today's story. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on April 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.